Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast, the place for solo and co-op and games and stuff. <laughs> and today's stuff is going to be noobs in space. Hey, hey, space. Yeah, this is a puzzle game from Thames and Cosmos that we got a review copy of. And we're going to have a little discussion on reusable components. Is that what we said we'd call it? Yep, exactly. So components that you use over and over. In the case of this game, you're using the cards over and over, but not on every mission. So it's, you know, the cards might have use them on mission one, five, seven, and eight or whatever. So uh, yeah, we'll talk about that at the end after we discuss some games. Yep. So uh, one that Peter and I both played, this to start off the conversation, is Unmatched Adventures. Uh, no review copy for this one. Uh, our friend Jerry pledged this. And this is the new solo co-op mode for Unmatched, which is a mainly 1v1 tactical card-based uh, like skirmish combat game. Yep. And I played this one too. And for both Jerry and I, it was our game of Gen Con this year. So Mike, would it have been your game of Gen Con? No, without a doubt, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I'm, I'm having a good time with it. Uh, I've played it, I think, four or five times now. I'm going to do a video for the channel and a review at some point here. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely having fun with it. Uh, my son enjoyed it pretty well, too. Uh, it comes with four characters, but then you can use other unmatched characters to fight in it as well. It's got two main bosses you can face off against, and then uh, I think like six different minions that will help out the bosses. And it's very straightforward in its gameplay, for both better and worse. <laughs> like, very, very straightforward. Um, and it's very random sometimes uh, how some things fall out, but in a, in a way that's potentially fun. So I'm having a good time with it. Uh, the, <laughs> the big thing, Peter, is that, you know, it is very similar. Well, not very similar, but it has many similarities to Exceed and some other, like, fighting games like that. Right. And, uh, yes, playing Unmatched Adventures made my son want to play more Exceed. So he had a pretty good time, and I was like, hey, you want to play that again? And he's like, no, let's play Exceed. And then we played like Exceed 10 times in the last couple of days. So so that was good. The, the best thing I could say about Unmatched Adventures is that it got me to play a different game with my son. <laughs> well, I am way more bullish on it than you. I really enjoyed my two plays of it. And we could talk about this later because I'm sure we're going to review this very absolutely, soon. Absolutely, absolutely. Especially because our takes are kind of on the not necessarily opposite ends anymore. Sounds like you've warmed on it a little bit. I yeah, know. No, no, I, I think it's fun. I just don't think it's anything special, but I think it's definitely a lot of fun. Yeah. And I, I know you said simplistic, but I do think it depends on your hero and things like that. And yes, it has similarities to Exceed, but you're not playing Exceed co-op either. And certainly correct. not up to four players. Correct, correct. So for all those reasons, um, and many, many more, go listen to our Gen Con episode. I am I am much more bullish, but I've only played it twice. Yeah, I was so about I to say, you, you've played it half as much as I have. And yeah, I'm curious how it'll stand up for you as you play it more and see the same stuff more times. Sure. And I've also not played it with my family as well, which could make it go up or down in my estimation. So I'm curious about how that goes as well. But I, I really, really enjoyed my first two plays of it. So uh, 
So we will see. But that is uh, Unmatched Adventures. Another game you and I played together last weekend was Forbidden Jungle. We played a lot of like shorter games last weekend instead of playing one giant one the way we num- sometimes normally do. Yeah, so Forbidden Jungle, it's the next in the series of Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert, Forbidden Sky we won't talk about. Yeah. And <laughs> this is the next one in the series. And I had fun with it. Um, I, I don't think it goes above island or desert for me, but it is... I think people who want something a little bit heavier, I think would enjoy this more because I think there's a little bit more to it. Now it does have, it's not as heavy as sky. I don't think sky just got convoluted at some point, at least for me. Um, And I didn't enjoy the heaviness. You can die in one turn here, which was my biggest complaint with forbidden sky. Like you could just get killed by something, but here I feel like most of the time you should see it coming. Now, certainly there are going to be those surprise moments where like, some adults spawn and they move to your space and they kill you. But yeah, I've, I've been enjoying the gameplay of this one. Although again, I think I would prefer to play Island or desert. It's definitely up there with those for me again, after just two plays. Yeah. And I've only played it once, so I barely have any coherent thoughts yet, but at the moment I would say it it strikes me how similar it feels to desert in that both have like a lot of actions of sort of like time waste. You get rid of stuff, desert getting digging out the sand and this one killing the alien or creature things. And then they both have sort of a uh, like place the cards in certain configurations. You know, desert has like the intersection of things. And this one has like moving the cards to be around each other. Whereas I feel like Island is doing its own thing. Now its own thing is very pandemic ish. But yeah, n- n- none of them beat Island for me still. I'd have to play this one more, but it doesn't seem like it will. Just the, the excitement of like locations falling away. This one has that kind of, but not in the same exciting way. I don't know. I- Island is still the pinnacle of the series for me, which I guess is not a great thing. But I thought this one was fun and the components are really nice. So I, I have no problem playing this again and seeing uh, if it grows on me. Yeah. And the one thing it does come with is map configurations. Now, I'm not sure if it has the exact same number of tiles as Island, but I wonder if you could just like play island using the map configurations that are here well island already has official they're print and play but they already have official that have been out for years uh, map configurations to make the game harder or just vary it up yeah but this is it's nice to have the printed ones I, i know they're print and play and i know it's not very hard to print them and just like literally place the tiles in whatever configuration but i do like having a printed set of stuff that that looks kind of official. So, <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> um, but I guess we did we we kind of skipped some of the main mechanisms of the game, which is you are sliding tiles around here. You have to like get this portal and you have to surround it with crystals. And the crystals are all in certain places at the beginning of the game. There's four lit crystals and and two like dead crystals, but you know which tiles those are. They do a good job of spreading them out. So you don't have that situation with some games like where it's basically just set up for you to win right away or almost impossible for you to lose. So I do like that where there's at least some control over where those are. And the sliding puzzle is kind of interesting. You're just moving these tiles around and uh, trying to get them in certain spaces. You could blow tiles up to move them out of the way. So it's kind of a fun little, you know, kind of like those slide puzzles when you're a kid where you have numbers one through nine. You're trying to get them in order. There's a little bit of uh, fun to that as well. Although I do think that might be one of the downsides of the game as well. But we'll get into that in a more further review. But I, I think one of the downsides, what I was thinking is that you're just kind of sitting on one space, just moving tiles around for a while. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, we definitely got into that seminar game. Yeah. 
Uh, another one I wanted to mention, uh, Peter's not played, well, I think we might have played on TTS back when it was on crowdfunding, but I got a review copy of Voidfall, which is the big, big, very big <laughs> um, Mind Clash uh, space 4X-ish game. It's got competitive solo and co-op. I've been playing the solo a whole bunch. I'm going to do a review uh, here in the next week or two. And uh, yeah, I'll spoil a little bit of the review. It is excellent. The gameplay is awesome. I love the turn-to-turn choices. I love the variety in a lot of things. And yet and you'll never time, play it again. I, I might never play it again. Exactly. Like <laughs> once, <laughs> once I clean it up off my table, will I ever play it again? There's a high probability I will not because it is so huge. I could barely fit a solo setup on my very large table. Bar- barely fit a solo setup. And it gets way bigger with more players. Um, it takes forever to set up. It takes forever to tear down. There's so many like icons and stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I was playing it very smoothly, very quickly. Of course, I played it many times back when it was on crowdfunding. So it, it was just kind of uh, like, you know, riding a bike again. I, I, I caught on pretty quickly. But yeah, it is just a beast. And I, I'm not like a, the kind of guy who's going to keep, t- uh, you know, Twilight Imperium 4 or something just to play it like once in a blue moon. So I don't think I'll keep this one. But if if the the good side is very, very good. So if you have your life situation is such that you can devote a ton of time to a single game that you have a huge table or you can like if you can leave it set up and it's come to it every once in a while, that should be awesome. But yeah, uh, Voidfall is not going to not going to be long for my world, I don't think, as much as I enjoy the uh, design of it. Well, now I do like Civilization and 4X games. Jerry and I specifically like those kind of games. Do you think we would like this one? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's a great game. When I say it's a great game, it's a great game. Uh, would we be able to play three-player on your biggest table, Peter? I don't know if we would be able to fit it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, because I got a four-by-eight table made for, like, miniatures gaming or whatever. So, yeah, if it doesn't play on that, that that's that's pretty big. We might have to have our own personal tables. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> the only other game I wanted to mention real, real quick is Great Western Trail New Zealand. I we, we mentioned this a little bit in the past, but I've had the chance to play the solo mode of this, and I think it is excellent. Uh, Great Western Trail is one of my favorite games. New Zealand made it even better, and the solo mode for it is pretty outstanding. It is a it is kind of halfway between Apiary, which we discussed last week, where it's just flip over a tile and it kind of scores some points for the AI and does a few actions to block you. And something like Gaia Project, which is my favorite solo game, which has a very robust AI where they're really doing things to interact with you, helping you turn your power, things like that. It's kind of in between because each game, it's going to get a different set of like workers that it gets. And as it gets more more and more workers of each type, its powers change. So the cards will say, do this based on how many workers it has. Like if it's sheep herders, you get a higher, you know, more powerful sheep into their deck or whatever else. So while it is a little bit, you know, it's very simplistic. You're just moving the worker around and doing a quick action, a quick action. But the quick action is going to feel different based on the configuration that they have and i thought that was pretty cool i I really enjoyed it you know i'm I'm trying to play all these solo euro games so i can come up with the top 10 list and this one will definitely be on there i I really really liked it yeah i mean i i loved it uh, competitive i only played once though so i'm curious uh, based on what you're saying on the solo mode it sounds pretty good so i'd like to try it at some point 
I mean, what you're doing feels exactly like what you do when you're playing Great Western Trail. And it feels like you're playing against an AI that is at least somewhat intelligent and actually, for me, blocks you even more than players would. So that that even increases the challenge a little bit in my mind. Yeah, no, it's really cool. All right. Uh, so before we get to our review of Noobs in Space, uh, we want to thank some of our awesome Patreon supporters. If you did not know, One Stop Coffee Shop has a Patreon, patreon.com slash one stop. And you get early access to our YouTube videos. You get uh, two exclusive videos, one or two based on your pledge level every single month. And you get to watch all the old ones. So at this point, it's like 80 or something videos. It's a lot. And uh, yeah, it also just helps to support us in buying games, upgrading our equipment, all that uh, good stuff that goes into the show. So this week, I'm going to thank Corey Bourgeois, Andy Harris, and Versingnet. Corey, Andy, and Versingnet, thank you so much for your support of the channel. Thanks to everybody who watches the YouTube channel, uh, who listens to this podcast, who's subscribed, who's... Uh, reviewed us on Apple Podcasts, wherever else you listen. All that stuff helps to grow our little cooperative family. Yeah, and then one more thing I want to mention is we do have a Kickstarter right now going on. It's a game that Mike and I designed. It is also our first foray into publishing, I guess, where it is. we are not the only publishers. We are 50-50 publishers with Escape Velocity Games. So the Kickstarter is under the name Escape Velocity Games, but we are definitely a big part of it. So if you like cooperative games where you get to play cards, it's very puzzly, it's uh, mission-based, it's replayable, it's... Uh, the one comment I do want to respond to is some people have said that it looks a little simplistic. It is not simplistic. It is it is easy to play. The actions are very easy, but the strategy is, I mean, come on, it's Mike and I. We're not going to make a game for like toddlers here. So it is definitely a game with a lot of strategy. Uh, a, a playthrough I would recommend you to is on Co-op Guild. It has a playthrough where I played with Steve and Kim, who used to be on One Stop Co-op Shop. But now their channel is called Co-op Guild. Go check out the three-player play we have there. I mean, you'll see. You'll see how deep the strategy gets. It is super fun. And uh, and it is, you know, we we did the best we could to make the price as good as possible, too. $39, you know, plus shipping is super affordable for the amount of content you're getting in the game. Yeah, by the time this airs, we should have another playthrough by Colin uh, with Meet Me at the Table now, who used to be with One Stop Co-op Shop as well because we're all still friends, in case that's not clear. And yeah, he did a later mission, which gets a lot more uh, tactically complex. So that's a good one to watch. And then also Ricky Royal on Box of Delights should have a video up by the time this airs. So if you haven't checked out the game yet, uh, as the Kickstarter is coming to a close, we'd love you to see if it looks up your alley and throw us uh, throw us some of your change if uh, you like what you see. Throw, throw a coin to your Witcher. That's right. <laughs> All right, so let's get to some noobs in space, which is, uh, I guess, well, here, I'll let you talk about the story, Peter, and then I'll talk about the mechanics. You're noobs in space. Wow. And you're, like, having to solve puzzles so you don't die. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that's pretty much it. And the actual gameplay, it is a eight-scenario campaign but each mission is kind of most akin to like a puzzle game or an escape room game in that you take a bunch of cards, which are numbered for that mission. You divide them up equally among all the players and the players are not allowed to show their cards to each other, but they are allowed to freely talk about their cards. 
And the cards will have tasks numbered on them, and you do the tasks in order, and the tasks will cause you to do things with your cards and communicate with each other in different ways. And then at the end, you check if you did the task correctly, and the better you did and the faster you did it, the better uh, number of stars you get, and that's the game. <laughs> Just trying to limited communication, you know, without seeing the cards, talk to each other through things, describe things to each other like, ooh, there's this kind of spaceship on my card. What kind of spaceship do you have on yours? And figure out the puzzles. That's how you play noobs in space. Yeah. And so for those of you joining us for the first time, thank you. What we do here is we cover the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which is the least important, going to number one, which we think is the most important. But of course, they're all important or we wouldn't talk about them at all. All right, I'll start with this one because my fi- number five is kind of weak because this is kind of a smaller game and it's hard to come up with five unique things I'm, about I'm in it. A very similar place. But go ahead. <laughs> so my number five is the price, and I don't know that in two hundred and however many episodes, three hundred however many episodes, I've ever talked about price before. But at I looked at it online, I saw anywhere from eleven to fifteen dollars for this game, which is eight missions. Each mission takes what twenty minutes to an hour. No, 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 no. Dude, it, what? <laughs> 20 minutes to an hour. The timer was like 10 minutes for each mission. It's like 10 minutes per mission. 10, 10, 10 to 15, like to wrap it up and set it for the next one. All right. So still, even at 15 minutes per mission, let's say 10 minutes per mission, make it easy, times eight, that's an hour and 20 minutes. You know, for that same price, that's what they were charging for unlock games. Now, I love unlock games as well, and I think they are way worth it as well. But I kind of felt like I got more than a standard escape room game, even an unlock game, which I really like. I felt like there was at least more time investment and I was still having just as much fun with it throughout. Yeah, this one didn't make my list, but I fully agree. Uh, If you compare it to a game that is a more standard board game that you can play a whole bunch of times, the value might not seem that great, but I do think like Peter did, it's fair to compare it against other escape room games. And it is like about double the amount of game time for the amount of money you're paying compared to similar games of a similar weight. So I think that's pretty good. But my number five, because I was also uh, <laughs> trying to find something to talk about with this little game, is the scoring. And there's a con, because it doesn't freaking matter. <laughs> Wait, are you spoiling the end? Oh, well, no, I'm just saying, well, no, I'm not spoiling what happens with it at the end, but whether it matters oh, okay. or not, you just get some stars. You know, like right. you get stars. Like, yes, they, ch- they do something with it at the end, but I, I didn't think it mattered, you know, and I, again, I'm not spoiling what actually happens with them. But yes, I mean, like, you know, it's, it, if you if you did it in nine minutes, you get four stars. If you did it in ten minutes, you get three stars. If you messed up once, okay, now you get two stars. You know, it's fine. Uh, Unlocked does the same kind of thing. A lot of them have, like, sort of the scoring thing. It doesn't really matter. And this one certainly doesn't do anything more special with it than other games do. So, yep, it has a scoring system. It is neither here nor there. It's a con, but I have better things to say later. <laughs> my number five or my number four excuse me is uh player scaling and it goes from three to five players but i do think it's going to be easier at lower player count and to me three players was kind of ideal now the nice part is compared again i'm going to compare it to other escape room games everybody has something to do because everybody has their own hand of cards because and you're just looking at those and you can describe and read the cards out loud as much as you want and you're all trying to like figure this out so it's very audio based because you're listening to other people at the table reading their cards out loud 
But because there is a lot of reading in the game, I do think it'd be harder to play with younger children, especially if reading is an issue, because a lot of the time spent is reading your cards out to other players and then looking at the pictures and trying to figure things out. I guess you could stack the deck in a way where you're giving all the reading cards to the adults and it should work just fine in that situation. But um, just something to be aware of. But I, I do like the way because everybody gets card cards dealt out to them, everybody is involved. Unlike other escape room games where there's only maybe one or two things to look at at a time, or you're working on one puzzle and like, there's really only one card to look at. And so in this situation, you may or may not be involved in every puzzle because you may or may not have cards. And again, at higher player counts, it's going to be more and more often because you're going to have less cards because the same number of cards are dealt out regardless of how many players are playing. They're just, you're going to get less cards per player. So you are more likely to not be involved in a puzzle at higher player count, but it also makes it harder because I do think for some of the puzzles, especially if you have two or three of the puzzle cards in your hand at the same time, it makes the puzzle a lot easier. So it, it does vary in difficulty that way based on the you know, the luck of the draw as well. But anyway, player scaling three to five. I do think it'll probably be best at three. We haven't played it at any other player count though. So it might be fine at five, but I could just see it being more difficult and you being involved less with more players. Yep. And I'll talk about that in my own uh, point a little bit later, but fully agree. I did play this with my uh, seven and 11 year old and the seven year old is a pretty good reader for his age. And we were able to kind of muddle through it a little bit. Um, he didn't read anything wrong, but certainly if somebody is not a uh, good reader or if they read something wrong, it would mess up a lot of the game. Uh, my number four is also a negative, and that's the story. And this is uh, very reminiscent of another game from uh, Thames and Cosmos. I think they published this one, too, which is The Crew. Both of these are space-themed games. Both of them have some story going on. And man, I, I could not... I, I could not care about it at all. <laughs> yes. I mean, it was trying to be a little bit goofy, but also like at least the crew has kind of major things happen from the beginning to the end of the campaign. And like you accomplish some things in this one, not to spoil too much, but the story is like, Hey, you go out in space and then, and then you're in space. Wait, bit. didn't you lose your keys in one of the missions? I think you did lose it. Yeah. So like, really it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's what they're leaning into. It's like, you're kind of screw ups and that's like sort of the humor of the game as it were. But it does mean that the story is like kind of nonsensical and useless, in my opinion. So it's there. It's it's a way to lead into the missions. But uh, yeah, uh, not much more to say about that. Yeah. And I guess my number three kind of has to do with your number five. And I said the penalty for messing up is really just not that big a deal. I, I, I get more mad about not understanding why we didn't get it rather than being angry at the three minute penalty or whatever. I mean, I guess theoretically, because there's usually only like four or five things on the table at the end of the game, you could just say you're done one second in and just take 12 minutes of penalties and go from there. Oh, that's, that's, that's loser talk right there. Come on. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like the penalty is a non penalty. Like the puzzles are going to take probably more than three minutes to solve. So like if you took three minutes to solve it and then you like messed up and you got a penalty too, that's like double killing you. But yeah, again, it, I, I think it goes back to your point. Number five is you can't really worry about the scoring that much because it's not a big deal if you mess up. It's more trying to like after we were done, we'd always go back and try to figure out how to get the right answer. Like we cared more about that than the actual losing of time because we messed up. Yes. All right. So my number three is actually something that's going to connect straight to our design discussion. And that's the fact that even though you have eight scenarios, a lot of cards are used in multiple scenarios. So how, how they do it is on the back of the card, you'll see 
every one of the scenarios that card is used in. So like one card might just say four, but another card might say like one, three, seven, eight. So you'll reuse the same cards a bunch. And you even have the same tasks sometimes. But we'll also, uh, what will often happen so that you're not like, doing things the exact same way is I'll have sort of like either or binary things that kind of change the way. So it'll be like, hey, okay, you're doing task number three. If anybody has a red alert card, then do it this way. If nobody has a red alert card, then do it that way. So they kind of give you branching like results that will uh, change up how it resolves in that scenario versus another scenario. And this is uh, kind of a mix for me. And this is going to, again, go into our design discussion. So I won't say a ton. But the big thing is on the negative side, you do feel like you're doing similar tasks pretty often, you know, so it's not as varied, I guess, as like how it might go in some other escape roomish kind of games. But on the positive side, I know, Peter, you had a similar reaction when I said this. I don't remember which thing was which and all the tasks are kind of muddled in my head. So I think I could yep. absolutely, unlike most escape room and puzzle games, I think I could absolutely play this with my family. <laughs> you know, like it's been about a week since I played it and beat it. I could play with my family and I don't think I would be able to like, cheat. I, I, I don't think I even would be cheating. I'd be like, oh, I, I kind of remember something like this. I don't remember what the heck the answer was. So I think sort of by consequence of that repetition, they increase the replay way beyond what usually you get because usually these games are one and done and there's no point in doing it again but here there's like enough lack of visibility of like what each task similarity yeah tasks exactly exactly so so it's a plus and a minus like you are doing similar tasks sometimes but it does mean that i think you could bust out the game uh another you know a week or two after you beat it and you'd be ready to go again it would be fun again yeah, so I, I think there's, and that's my number two as well. So I, I said you play it over and over. So there's two points to that. Number one is replay. And I think Mike's as- absolutely right. If you played it again, there are several reasons why you wouldn't know the answers right away. Number one, again, there are enough similarities that you're like, sometimes you put a red lever down, sometimes you put a black lever down, right? Like, you're not going to remember which mission you did, which you're going to press certain numbers on certain things. You, you know, there might be some puzzles that stick out, but for the most part, because you're doing a lot of different puzzles and you're doing some similar puzzles, I I don't think you're going to remember the answers. The other part of this is because going back to my um, fourth point, because you all have your own hand of cards, that's also going to lead to replayability because you're not, you're not going to see all the cards. In fact, you're only going to see a third of the cards that come in each mission in a three player game and a fifth of the number of cards in a five player game. If you are worried about like knowing the answers or whatever, I would say you could probably also help run the game if you have three other people that are wanting to play it. And I think it would be just as entertaining to watch people communicate because this game is definitely about communication. So I think it'd be fun to watch people communicate it. And I, I think that would be just as entertaining as watching games like, like Unlock and things like that as well. But the other part of the play over and over is when we sat down to play this, we literally were so tired the first night. Like we just played a big, long, heavy game. I don't even remember what it was, but we're like all ready to go home. And Mike's like, do you want to play a, a game of this? Uh, noobs in space. We're like, all right, we'll play one mission. How long is it going to take? You're like, ah, 10 minutes. So we play it and then we're like, all right, let's play another one. All right, let's play another one. All right, let's play. We were playing four or five missions that first night playing it. And then we couldn't wait to get it back to the table the next time. The only game I ever remember having that 
visceral, let's play it again, let's play it again, set it up, set it up reaction to recently was the initiative, which I really like that one as well. And, you know, I, I think it's just the nature of this quick puzzling natures. You know, it, it kind of felt like each mission felt satisfying, but also felt like it kind of, like it, 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 like I said, I thought it was 20 minutes to an hour each mission. Like I was really like in depth. Like I, I didn't realize it was only 10 min- minutes by the end of it. Uh, it felt longer to me, but I was also always ready to play another mission. So it felt longer, but in a good way. And, and again, it was like this popcorn sensation, like, oh, just one more game, just one more game. So uh, yeah, I, I think there is a lot of replay in it because I do think you can replay the missions and you'll want to play all eight of those missions in a quick succession. Yeah, and my number two is, I forget if it was your three or four, Peter, but it's basically the same thing. Uh, you you called it like player count. I was just talking specifically about the division and shuffling up of the tasks among the players. Yep. And j- just to reinforce what Peter already said, uh, on the negative side, you can be left out of a task and it's still entertaining to watch. But like if if somebody else is the one reading the task and then somebody else has all the cards and you have nothing related. You just kind of sit there and try to imagine what they're talking about in your head. Cause you can't see anything and you have like no frame of reference. <laughs> and at the same time, like Peter said, sometimes you'll like one person will end up with a bunch of cards for the same thing. So they can almost figure it out on their own. So like that kind of takes away from the communication on the positive side though. I do like the shifting nature of your involvement because of the randomization of cards Like it does feel very different when you are the one reading directions or when you are the one kind of engaged in like the visual aspect of looking at a card and calling it out to people. So I think there's some pluses and minuses here, but uh, certainly sometimes you will be sitting around. Now, (laughs) again, it's like a 10 minute game entire in total and each task you take it maybe like one to two minutes. You're never going to be sitting around for very long and it is entertaining to watch other people shout at each other and try to figure things out, but just that's something to be aware of. Yeah, and if you're not in one puzzle, that means you have none of those cards. That means you have a lot of cards of a different type, right? So that means you will be involved in one of the other puzzles. So I don't think there's ever going to be a situation where you're just like left out. For sure, for sure. All right, Mike, why don't you do your number one first? Because I feel like we've had some repetition. I feel like this is going to be a repeat too. So uh, I mean, yes. So my number one, like Peter said, it's a game all about communication. And I I called them the communication puzzles. And I, I really enjoyed this. I found this, you know, so it is in essence... You know, if you're comparing this to other puzzle games and other like escape room games and that kind of thing, which is certainly the space that it's living in, it is in many ways very different because kind of like something like The Mind or some of these other games or Hanabi, what you're doing basically is very simple. You know, it's like, hey, find out which of these two cards have the same icons on them. Like incredibly stupidly simple tasks like that. But... (laughs) Because you have to talk about it and describe it and be like, oh, it's a squiggly thing with with a squiggle coming out of the middle of the squiggle. You know, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> then it, it just becomes kind of humorous and fun. And so, again, it's, it's, it's not a game you're going to approach with a puzzle aspect. Like, I don't really feel like I was solving riddles and making leaps of logic, except maybe like twice in the entire playthrough or three times in the entire playthrough. But it is, I found it at least still very fun to try to communicate things, to fumble with words, to talk back and forth, to debate, to figure things out and have that aha moment when finally the communication reaches each other. So it's a different type of puzzle, but I still found it as fun as some of the best escape room experiences out there. Yeah, and it wasn't overly hard. And I I called mine puzzles slash communication. So yes, (laughs) communication puzzles is a perfect way to describe it. 
And it was. It was the best part about this game. You know, some of the puzzles were as simple as somebody reads the first word and then somebody like it leads to another word and then it leads to another word and it leads to another word. And, uh, you know, sometimes they do different things with that as well. And sometimes you're just reading emails and trying to figure out, you know, what the puzzle is from that. Um, there was only once where I think we just never figured out what the puzzle was that they were trying to tell us every other time. We're like, wait, how did we get that wrong? And then we realized when we went back, it's like, oh, that's how we got that wrong. Okay. So it was satisfying in that way. I will say that unlike a lot of escape room games, there was no hint system, was there? Or like way to go back and figure out the puzzle itself? No, yeah. I mean, again, like nothing is inherently super challenging (laughs) if you just talk enough about it. So yeah, there is no hint system to like get you through if things aren't going well i mean i guess theoretically if you throw all the cards on the table and looked at all of them yes it would be it would not be much of a game and that's why they have a minimum of three players i think even with two players if you were just getting too many cards for the same puzzle it wouldn't be as interesting and those are the those were the least interesting times is when somebody got all of the cards that related to a puzzle so yeah i mean even if it was just one card that another person had the puzzle is way more interesting so yeah if that sounds interesting i would say this game's for you and i'll go first because i have not made my thoughts hidden at all for the price point i think this is a no-brainer buy and i really hope they come up with more of these i've really enjoyed it it it's probably number two behind unlock for me right now deckscapes up there as well exit series really fell off in my estimation just because i think the puzzles don't always work physically like putting this stuff together doesn't always work i think sometimes they're a little out there and i think they're a little more varied in difficulty or or types of puzzles uh so exit is probably you know of these four at the bottom noobs in space is probably right above it then deckscape or deckscape and noobs in space i feel they're kind of occupying the same place in my mind at least again the benefit of this one is i think it handles higher player counts better than any of them even unlock which is my favorite of them unlock i'd prefer to play with two players i will play with three whereas this one i think three to four might be the ideal player count oh you know that's a great point i'm gonna steal that from my final thoughts because i was gonna basically echo what peter said i think that it is very fun if you like these escape room kind of games, if you like these kind of puzzle experiences, this one, again, is an amazing value for what you get. You can replay it more than most of those. So you could just keep it and play it again every once in a while, and I think it would still be good. But also nothing is destroyed, nothing is damaged, so you can trade it, you can sell it. You know, I don't know what you'd sell it for. If it costs 12 bucks, you'd probably sell it for two, five. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Maybe selling is a little bit of a tough proposition. Just pass it to a friend for free, you know, like whatever. But yeah, so I think this is great. Now, if you don't like escape room games, if, if you don't like limited communication, if you don't like the idea of like kind of reading things to each other, you know, not long passages, but little things, it might not go that well for you. But I, I like Peter, I had a blast with this. Um, it did kind of, you know, we, we played the, we played five missions in one go very late at one game night. And then the next three at the beginning of the next game nights, so we were itching to get this thing done. And not because of the story, because the story was barely there, just because it's nope. fun to play. Like, yeah, if, if they yep. <laughs> if they had no story, but it's like, hey, here's some more puzzles like that, I would do that stuff right now. <laughs> like, it's it's just a fun, it's a fun sit, it's a fun like thing and activity to do together. Well, you said limited communication a couple of times. I don't know that that's the right term for what this is because you can say whatever you want. Yeah, I guess you're right. You're right. So it's more limited information than communication. 
So you can't see everything, but you can literally describe word for word. There's no like, oh, you can't say this word or you can't say that word or you can't do whatever. You can't describe it fully. No, you can literally read right off the card. So it's more limited information, I think, than limited communication. In fact, I think it's unlimited communication with limited information. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, so either way, a big recommend from both of us if this is at all like your jam. Uh, We really had a great time with it. So that is Noobs in Space. It's going to be hard to read this one at the end of the year, though, because, like, it would be very high for me. But, like, I'm not going to keep playing the same game over and over. (laughs) So that's the only, like... Yeah, like, yeah, that's the thing. Like, when when you said, uh, you know, it's the next for you under unlock, uh, you know, I'd put something like Deckscape above this just because there's a lot more Deckscape. But, hey, if they do, like... You know, noobs in deep sea adventure, noobs <laughs> in Indiana Jones. Like I, that, then it might raise in my estimation very quickly because I want to see more of the system, you know? Yeah. And I would, I'd be interested to see what other puzzles they come up with. Cause again, I think because of the limited number of cards in there, that's why they're repeating the puzzles. Cause they want to like reuse the cards over and over mm-hmm. in a very clever way, by the way, like Mike said, that's not the only way they reuse cards. Like sometimes they use the top half or the bottom half. Sometimes you'll see the same picture and it means something different. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think it was very clever. And I guess that leads right into our design discussion, which is reusing components throughout that one game in this situation or, or a series of games. Yeah. So did you want to kind of lead us into it? Sure. So, I mean, this is like sort of a, a out of the box topic. I was trying to think of like what games even applied here. Cause clearly you reuse the components in most games. <laughs> well, I'll give you an example. Well, no, no, I, I have examples. I was just leading into the idea. So, yeah. So the first thing I thought of that you know, kind of applies to this, I think, and is maybe one of my favorite ways to do it, is modular card systems and, like, modular games in general. Yep. Because, you know, like, the idea of something like a Sentinels of the Multiverse or like a Marvel Champions or like other superhero game, because that's all I can think of right now. Um, (laughs) The idea of taking the exact same hero or the exact same villain with the exact same deck, but modularly combining them with other things to create a different, like, kind of overall gestalt experience. I think that's pretty interesting, although it's not quite the same thing as, like, what something like Noobs in Space is doing. No, but I think that's a good point. And one of my favorite in this series, I mean, obviously, I love Marvel Champions. And Marvel Champions, you have a mission, but you're adding in these side schemes. And each of the side schemes can make the mission feel very differently. Some will give you big, hefty minions you have to get rid of. Some will add more threat to the board, whatever else. So they're kind of almost mini puzzles. And we actually do this quite a bit in our designs. Now, maybe not any of the published ones yet. Flame and Fang's going to have this, though, where you're going to be able to play the same mission over and over. But we add in cards at the end, which will change up how the mission completely feels just by adding one or two cards in to tweak one or two of the rules in the game. So you're playing the same mission. I, I guess that's what I was trying to go with with these reusable components. You're playing the same mission again, but it feels different just by one or two tweaks. Yeah. Something else I thought of is, well, first of all, there are other puzzle games that do this. In fact, uh, my favorite puzzle slash riddle slash story game of the year still. And Peter, I haven't let you borrow this yet because Vanessa and I have still not quite finished it. We're like right at the end and then we just kind of stalled out is uh, The Light in the Mist, 
So that's very, it's, it's similar to Noobs in Space, actually, in quite a few ways. I didn't think about it until just now. But it's, uh, you'll have, like, the these major Arcana tarot cards that will then tell you which minor Arcana cards to get from, like, the main deck. So you'll use the same cards in, like, four or five or six different puzzles. And kind of like you said, Peter, sometimes, like, the top half of the card is what you use for this puzzle. And the bottom half of the card is what you use for that puzzle. But they don't explain it. You just have to like visually try to see what seems similar between all the cards that got pulled out for this particular riddle and like solve the like logic puzzles through that. So it is interesting that like Noobs in Space, it is reusing cards, but this one is much more of like an unlock exit riddle experience where you are looking at those cards, even though they're being reused and trying to figure out which element is key in each case. Whereas Noobs in Space, it's more about that, uh, you know, communication puzzle. And this is one that I don't know exactly fits this category, but I'm going to kind of pigeonhole it in here, which is deck building games just in general, and especially ones that are Ascension style deck building games. And I'm even going to put a game like Ark Nova, which we played recently in this, which is you have so many cards, but you're only going to see a certain amount of them. So it changes the puzzle each time you play it. I guess one of the benefits of this thing is it can lead to replayability because if you're not seeing the same things together, they combo in different ways, which is, I think, different. I guess it's a little similar in Dominion and in, um, not Astronites, but the 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 other one that it came from. Oh, uh, Aeon's End? Aeon's End, right? Where you have these piles of cards, but the piles don't change throughout the game. So you kind of, I guess you do get combinations in those games, but it's not going to change from the beginning of the game to the end. Where I think if you got a game like Ark and Over, where you got hundreds and hundreds of cards, and this time I'm getting this card, it's going to work well with this card. But next game, when I get that card, the odds of me getting another card that matches it are very low likelihood. And Ascension, especially as you add more expansions, is the same way. So I think any of these deck builder games where you're just seeing a different puzzle because of the way the cards come out. And I don't know that that exactly fits in this category, but to me, it's very similar because I guess you're, you're not seeing all the components every game. And, you know, in games like noobs in space, they tell you exactly which cards to put in, but in games like Ascension and Ark Nova, you're just going to draw a random smattering of them. And you're going to have to figure out how to puzzle it yourself in ways that the designer might not have even thought of. So in my mind, it's actually even a little bit more like, randomized because of that and more replayable because of that in games like that another big type of game that i think does fall directly into like the thing we're discussing is the smaller print and play games and button shy games the 18 card and nine card games of the world because they often for the designs to be as robust as they are need to reuse the exact same card for sometimes like three or four or five different jobs. Like a card might be this type of thing. If it's this orientation, flip it 180 degrees. Now it's that type of thing. Flip it over. Now it's this type of thing. You know, it's like one of my favorite uh, recent ones from button shy is rove. And the cards are both the mission cards that tell you like how to move, but they're also the action cards that tell you like how many points you have. And they're also the bonus cards So I think that's a really interesting thing. And and you've seen really amazing things being done with these limited design spaces. Like how can I make the exact same nine cards do like three different jobs (laughs) sometimes simultaneously? I've never designed a game like that. So I don't even know like where the thought process goes to make that kind of thing work. But at the same time, I'm super impressed by the abilities of those who can successfully work within those constraints and almost do cooler things because of those constraints, like 
jump to new impressive uh, feats of <laughs> designing variety through uh, the limitations of only being able to use like nine cards or 18 cards for an entire design. I do wonder if people use the same tricks over and over though, right? Like you would think at some point, I don't know. I mean, Button Shy keeps coming out with games all the time, so maybe not. And I have certainly not played even half of their games, oh, let alone I, all of them. Yeah, I, I've played I've played maybe 10 at this point and I haven't played it, uh, even a fraction of they have so, so many. Yeah. And then another one that's pretty obvious is uh, tiles. So you think of games like Maximum Apocalypse, you think of games like Flame and Fang, you have these you know, different tiles, and they're going to go in different configurations, you know, modular boards where you can lay out the board however you want. Even games like Gaia Project, each board has multiple planets and spaces on it. All these things can lead to different map layouts, different configurations. So with a limited pool of tiles, you can get more replayability out of it. This time you're in this location, and this time you're in that location. And, you know, just reusing tiles to create, you know, rather than having a board using tiles to create different map layouts, things like that, I think is another interesting way to reuse components, but to create something new. Yeah. And we haven't like, we're, we're listing a bunch of different like ways to do these kind of things, but to delve into the why a little bit, I think it does depend on which type of game you're talking about and which type of use you're talking about. But certainly like for the 18 card thing and for a lot of things where components are reused, it's less expensive. Yep. It's fewer components to go through. It can, in my opinion, sometimes contribute to a cleaner, more beautiful, more efficient design. And I don't mean beauty here in the sense of like aesthetic, like physical beauty. I mean, beauty in sort of the uh, the seamlessness of the mechanics, you know, and, and, and making a small number of things combo together in really interesting ways. You know, where, like, for example, all these button shy games, you could probably take the 18 cards, divide them all out into their own individual decks. It would become, I don't know, like a 60 card game or a 70 card game, but it wouldn't be, you would lose some of that impressiveness. You know what I mean? And certainly the form factor would change, the price would change. So a lot of things would be, in my opinion, lessened. Although, you know, maybe the graphic design would be better because each card would only have to be one thing and they could have nicer art on it (laughs) and that kind of thing, you know? Sure. And it depends what you're looking for, right? It's sometimes form over function. Whereas, you know, something could be the most beautiful thing in the world. I always go back to Too Many Bones as my example of this. I don't know if you remember first edition Too Many Bones when you got those story cards. I mean, they had all this beautiful art on it. There are these beautiful plastic cards, but they were almost unreadable because it was so dark and it was so hard to read that like, you know, unless you had like a magnifying glass and, you know, some other special skills, like it was almost impossible to read. So, yeah, I mean, there there are some times, too, where graphic design and things can get in the way. So I do think clean design sometimes can be a benefit as well. But that's that's definitely a, a different topic for a different day. Yeah. So what are the pros and cons of reusing components? Number one pro is exactly what you said. Not only cost, but the clean I don't want to dismiss that as well, how clean it is to use the same components over and over. Let's use an example like Gloomhaven. If every minion and the way Mike plays it, they are, use the same miniatures, right? The same standees. And it was just minion one, minion two, minion three, minion four. And then, you know, you had red, green, and blue or whatever. It'd be way easier to set up missions there. And it'd be way cleaner and way faster. Whereas, 
you know, one of the benefits of not reusing components is you can have very unique locations. So the cost might go up, but maybe the benefit you're getting out of it is you have something, you know, each location might be a little more unique, you know, having different monster standees. If that graphical representation is important to you, if it needs to look like a cobalt in this situation and a skeleton in this situation, certainly that is something that will lead to more enjoyment on your end because it's more aesthetically pleasing, but it's also going to lead to more fiddliness and more time setting up, cleaning up, things like that. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely pros and cons to to reusing components this way. For sure, and, and it's going to go into your preferences. Like Peter just said, if you, <laughs> if you want a 15-box, like, cool mini or not, uh, giant game where, you know, I don't know, Marvel United or something where every single character has its own miniature, even though like they're just kind of tokens on a board that could all be more generic than that. That's probably like part of the value for you. If you're painting the miniatures, if you like to look at them, they do look beautiful. Yeah. So I guess sometimes simplicity and cleanliness or not cleanliness, cleanness and like reusing is going to be seen as a negative because the game's cutting corners, the game's trying to be cheap, you know, in, in the positive and the pejorative sense. Yeah, no. And I mean, I think it is personal preference. And I think there's room for each type of game, right? Because a game could start as something very clean, very minimal components, and then even grow from there. You know, I I feel like it's a lot easier to expand something that starts as a $50 game and then add $20 expansions or whatever that add the stuff that you're looking for rather than paying 150 bucks out of the box for something that is you may or may not even like right? I paid $150 for many games and played them once or twice. And I'm like, this game's garbage. So I'd rather pay that $50 entry point or whatever, or cheaper, preferably, obviously, and then figure out if I like it and then be able to upgrade it as time goes on with expansions or whatever else. I mean, I feel like that's the way games used to be made. And nowadays it's just like, all right, here's a $100 game with 50 million expansions right from the very start. And I mean, a big part of that is you know, not necessarily cutting corners, but reusing components, things like that. Now, every map board has to be like unique. For me, I enjoy when the designers think about being more economical. And obviously, you know, you can get to saving the planet and stuff like that as well. Obviously, if you're using less components, it's also more eco-friendly. So I don't know. I, I enjoy it when designers do that, not only for all those things we just talked about, but the biggest one for me is the point we started with which is cleanliness i don't want to take an hour to set up and clean up a game like i want less components if for nothing else than just for that yes now fully agree all right so uh there you go some thoughts on repeated use of components in a lot of different ways (laughs) Not, not all of them the same way or even like the same type of game but hopefully some of that was interesting and useful and yeah noobs in space give us more give us more noobs we want we want them yes all the noobs All the noobs all the time. All right, everyone, have a great uh, week. Go check out uh, Flame and Fang. Go watch Ricky Royals playthrough. Go watch Collins playthrough on Meet Me at the Table. And uh, we'll, we'll see how the campaign finishes out. Yep. And thanks for supporting us in any way you can. This, obviously, if you can support the Flame Fang campaign, that is where our focus is right now. So we totally appreciate that. And uh, But we just appreciate you guys listening, downloading, and just being part of our community. So we appreciate that as well. All right, Mike, we will talk in a couple weeks about...
something else. I don't know what Deep Rock maybe or you mentioned something else. Oh, uh, Unmatched Adventures. Yeah, Unmatched I, Adventures I, or Deep Rock both seem like good ones. To maybe do next. I mean, it's probably going to be Unmatched Adventures. Let's be honest. I'm much more interested in that. I like Deep Rock. Okay, but Unmatched Adventures is pretty special to me. So. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right, everybody. We will talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list. Hey Mike. Yeah. You suck at games, you noob. Whoa, that's true. That's true.